Well, we're going to go into our, our time of uh, Scripture reading. And so the Scripture comes from uh, Joshua chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. And I think in your digital bulletin it says Psalm 1, which we are also going to read. But right now we're going to read Joshua chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. I'll be reading in the ESV. We encourage you to find that. If you have a, a Bible or a Bible app handy, we're also going to project it over here. Again, it's Joshua chapter 1, verses 6 through 8. May the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause the people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. All right. Well, we are going into our sermon today, which is uh, entitled, Become the word. So we have been talking the last few weeks about the law and what the law is all about. And what we said is that the law is not just there to make sure you get in line, right? Not, not, not just meant to just sort of change external behavior or to, you know, get people to shape up. And if you don't, then God will blast you. And I think that so many people think of this when they think of the law, but it was truly meant to make us God's people. And so, uh, the question is, how do we become the people of God? Because that is not an automatic thing. Uh, I think my clicker died. James, can you go to the next slide? And so we talked about this idea of the new covenant being where the law will be written on our hearts. So I just want you to think about that. Where, in a way, what it's saying, for us to become the word of the, the people of God, it means in many ways that the word of God becomes a part of us. And it is no wonder that so many times when we talk about the word of God, we talk about it like food, you know? And so uh, there is this idea uh, that you probably heard of when we talk about food, if we can go to the next slide, um, that you are what you eat. And so, you know, the idea that uh, if you see the person on the left here, that if you eat lots of pizza and corn dogs and, you know, crazy things that, that have all kinds of like, you know, unpronounceable preservatives in them, that you are in many ways becoming that. Now, will you actually become a pizza? I, I share a story sometimes. I'm not going to share it again here where, <laughs> okay, maybe I will, <laughs> where uh, when I was in seminary, they had like the two ninety nine twenty piece chicken McNuggets. I think it's like four ninety nine now. They might have that for the Super Bowl, actually. Uh, I might be causing some people to stumble uh, in the sermon right now, but uh, <laughs> you know, when they had the two ninety nine uh, twenty piece chicken McNugget thing when I was in seminary, I just like lost my mind. I was like, this is so great. You know, I didn't have a lot of money, and so literally, I would eat twenty piece chicken McNuggets every night, sometimes during the day too, uh, for like the two weeks of that promotion. And <laughs> towards the end of that time, um, I, I kind of joke around, but I'm being serious. This, this is actually true. I was in the, uh, you know, it's like I was in a dorm at seminary and um, I, I'm in the bathroom, you know, doing number one, peeing, right? Can I say that in a sermon? I was peeing. 
And <laughs> my, my friend, uh, a really good friend of mine, um, what, what was, was in there too, like washing his hands or doing something. And, you know, and, and just as I'm doing my business, I'm like, what is that smell? It was chicken McNuggets. My pee smelled like chicken McNuggets. And I was like, like, like my friend Arnold, 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 come over here, man. You got to smell this. He's like, no, man, I'm not going to smell. Oh, my gosh, it smells like chicken McNuggets. And I was joking around that because I was eating so many chicken McNuggets, I was becoming a chicken McNugget. <laughs> you are what you eat. Now, obviously, it's not literally that you become that thing, but if you eat healthy things, you become healthy. Right? If you eat actual food that doesn't have crazy things on it, then probably your, your body will function the way it was designed. But if you eat crazy things that, you know, we, we can't pronounce the, uh, all the things in the ingredient packet, you know, th- that maybe it's no wonder that we're not healthy and that our uh, bodies aren't running the way that they're supposed to. And we use that parallel for the Bible, that we are supposed to eat the word, not just, you know, for information, for head knowledge, right? Not, not just to prove something to other people, because we want the word to become a part of us. We want the word of God to be written on our hearts and for it to shape who we are. And so the question that I have for us, is that the way that we read the Bible today? And, and I want you to take a look uh, from Joshua chapter 1, 6 through 8, where it's talking about a time that was very precarious in the, 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 for the people of Israel. And so, you know, we have been talking uh, the past few months, we've been going through like Exodus, and we were talking about Moses, who is this great leader who led the people out of Egypt. And he was a great leader in many ways. I mean, he was flawed, of course, right? But God used him. And the people looked at him, right, to lead them. And in many ways, before the word of God, before the law was given to the people, Moses was the law. There used to be this movie like a long time ago, uh, Judge Dredd, where he would say like, I am the law. I mean, that was kind of Moses. He was the law, right? He was judge and jury and I guess executioner. I know it's a little morbid, but, you know, Moses was the person they went to, right? And so, you know, a few weeks ago, we talked about uh, where the, the people would just, anytime they had a dispute, they'd go to Moses. Moses, tell us what God wants, Right? Moses, tell us how to arbitrate this dispute that I'm having with my neighbor. And so in many ways, what God wanted to do was for the people to be able to be his people without an intermediary like Moses. And so in many ways, the law kind of freed the people to be able to hear from God in a way, to know the will of God even if they didn't have access to Moses, right? It just wasn't tenable. If there's like thousands of people, not everyone can talk to Moses. And here, in fact, in this passage, this is right after Moses dies. What do you do as a people? He has led you all this way. He has led you out of Egypt. Of course, God is the one doing it, but he's the physical representative. And in tumultuous times, many of us, we look for direction. I think uh, for many people, there is a renewed interest in faith because we are in unprecedented times, aren't we? And maybe things seem to have smoothed out a little bit after the election and after some of the crazy things that have gone on, and we have hope in sight, but, but still, there is that question, how should we live our lives? Where do we turn? And for many people, they turn to the Bible. 
But I want you to see what God says to the people when Joshua is about to lead them into the promised land. And if you remember that they were told that the promised land is occupied, there are people that will be hostile to them. People that some of the scouts looked at and they said that they look like giants. And they look like, you know, compared to them, they look like little insects. Now, maybe they were exaggerating. I don't don't think they were actual giants, but who knows? I mean, you know, for them, maybe that's the way their fear looked. Like, they they look like giants. They looked like, like, like the scariest thing. And so maybe there's some trepidation as the people go in, and they don't have Moses anymore. And so this is what God speaks to the people. Be strong and courageous. For you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. This is what he's speaking to Joseph and, uh, uh, excuse me, Joshua in particular. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my ser- servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. It's a good word for the people. You don't need to be afraid. You can be courageous because I'm with you and you are going to prosper. You're going to have success. But the way that that's going to happen is if you live your life conformed to my word. I don't want to get too crazy like prosperity gospel uh, up in here, but I think the idea is that if we live our lives conformed to the word of God, if we become the word in some ways, or the word becomes us, should I say, it becomes a part of us. And then, you know, you, you see in here, it's not just that you know it, but you're actually able to do it, right? Your life conforms to the will of God. Maybe there's a part of you that wanted to do things like, like you know, be selfish and whatever, but the word of God is telling us, as we talked about last week, the royal law, right? The supreme law that, that all the other laws are, are, are that, that kind of lead up to it. You know, and and the fulfillment of all of that is this idea that we are able to love the Lord our God with all that we are, every part of us, and to love our neighbor as if they were us. And maybe, naturally, we may not want to do that. Maybe we haven't learned quite how to do that. But do you believe that if you can do that fully, that becomes a part of you? It just, right? Like, like you, you just... I don't want to say naturally, but, you know, in many ways, it just becomes what you do. You love people as if they were you. We were talking in the family group uh, this past week when we were kind of thinking about that, that royal law, to love your neighbor as if they were you. And this idea, like, do you really believe that, you know, that's the way that we should live our life? I mean, is that a priority for you? And I think, you know, for a lot of people in our group, you know, just being really honest, it's like, yeah, it's not a, really a priority for me. You know, I have many priorities when it comes to myself, making money and looking out for my family. But do we really believe if we were able to make that a priority, if we were able to line up our lives to the law, that's the best way to life, right? You, you, your way will be made prosperous and you will have good success. Now, how do we do that? It is by 
I mean, you know, for a lot of us, what we have heard is reading the Word of God. But what you see here, have you noticed? He never actually says the word read. God never says read. He says something else. And, and, and of course, how else are we going to get the Word of God if we don't read it? So reading is a part of it. But it's more than that, right? And, and so one of the things that, that I want you to think about is, is it enough for you to just read it? Will the Word of God then automatically become a part of you? Will your life conform to the law of God, particularly to love God and to love your neighbor? And, and what you find is, um, you know, there are different ways to read the Bible. And, and, and I want us to talk about that because um, I, I think it's a question I get asked a lot. You know, how do you read the Bible? Well, what do we do with this Bible? You know, and so I want to talk about three ways to read the Bible, and I think these are all valid ways, but I, I want to ask the question, will this get us to the point where the word becomes part of us? Which one would, would be the most effective in doing that, right, if you had to pick one? All right, so let's take a look. So the, the first way is probably the most common way that people read the Bible. It's just what I call survey. It's just reading it, right? There's no real analysis. There's no real study, right? But you just read it. You know, you just take it for what it's worth, you know? And uh, oftentimes when we read it in this way, you just read it once, you know, and then you just move on, you know? And if you don't understand something, you just kind of keep going, you know? And, um, you know, I, I actually recommend reading the Bible through, all the way through at some point if you can. But if you're going to do that, I'm telling you, it's probably going to be a survey, right? Where you just kind of read it once and you're not fully understanding everything. I mean, I don't want to tip my hand too much, but, you know, some of the other ways of reading scripture, uh, sometimes I'll just get, uh, uh, you know, I don't want to say stuck because it sounds bad, but I'll be on a chapter for months, you know? And and surveying the Bible, uh, I mean, if you do that, I mean, you, you may never get done, you know? And obviously, one of the problems with um, our Bible reading and, and that surveying doesn't necessarily emphasize, is something that I said last week. And, and I want to repeat this. I've said this several times before. And when I said this in our family group, somebody you know who probably had heard me say it before was like, wait, 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 hold on. Is that really true what you're saying? Like, like they, they had to kind of like, you know, reconcile this with what they've heard before. And so I'm going to say it again, because I really want you to question me. <laughs> I want you to wrestle with this a little bit. What I said last week was all of the Bible is true. It's all equally true, right? Definitely. But it's not all equally weighted, right? How do I know this? Because you don't hear very many people, um, you know, preaching on like Jude, you know, or Song of Songs, you know, which um, kind of reads like a Harlequin romance novel, you know, you don't hear many people like, oh, my life verse is Song of Songs, you know, chapter one, verse whatever, where it talks about like comparing a woman's bosom to like fruit. I'm serious, that's in there, you know? <laughs> is that equally weighted with something like John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever should believe in him shall not perish but have eternal life? Is that equally weighted, right? And so if you think about it for two seconds, it's not. 
And so if that is the case, then we have to stop this nonsense where people just pick and choose scripture, whatever they want, because what they're doing is there's an assumption there. It's an assumption that all scripture is equally weighted, right? And, and we confuse that with all scripture is equally true. Right? And remember, there is a culmination of the law. The law has a trajectory. It is fulfilled, filled out in Jesus. And the fulfillment of the law is the realization, really being able to live into those two commandments, to love the Lord your God with all that you are, every single part of you, all your heart, mind, soul, uh, 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 your strength, right? Um, and to love your neighbor as if they were you, right? A transformation of your heart and, and, and the way that you live, right? And so, you know, I, I mentioned this before, but people will take scripture that has nothing to do with those two objectives and put it on equal weight with scripture that does. And if you do that, you can do ghastly things with scripture. And believe me, we have. We've done so many things to kill, to, to, to promote injustice, to pr- promote people's power, to abuse and oppress countless numbers of people using Scripture on this concept that all Scripture is equally weighted, right? But it's not. And so surveying is good, But the problem with it is that, you know, you may not pause to sort of really, really reflect on those passages that draw you into that idea that we are supposed to, right? Um, You know, really absorb that that heart of what the law is really, really about, right? You can skip over it, you know? Another problem with surveying is that oftentimes we just forget it, right? I mean... You know, when it says meditating on the word day and night and and being able to, you know, make that a part of you where you're actually able to live it. I mean, you know, one of the things you probably noticed is that, I mean, or just thought about is how in the world do you do that if you're actually reading the word? You can't meditate on the word of God day and night by reading it because you got to do other stuff, right? You can't just always have the Bible around you in front of you just reading it nonstop, Right, And so the way that most of us read the Bible will not get us what we want, or at least what it's describing in Joshua 1, 6 through 8, because we, we don't remember any of it. You, know? you just read it, and you forget it, and that's usually what happens with surveying. You know? Again, it's not bad. You know, w- w- one of the, the metaphors I heard for this is this idea of, like, think of, um, you know, the Word of God in these moments when we're surveying, and there's just too much of the Word of God, and we're kind of porous, right? We're like a sieve or like a colander, you know, that's got holes in it, and you're putting water through it, but it's not able to to hold the water, right? Because of the holes in our concentration and the holes in our mind and all these things, and just the water is going through, and, and just, you know, you survey and you read quickly and, and, you know, you're not really able to absorb anything. So what is the worth of that? And what, what people say is that, well, it, the, the metaphor is, well, the colander, it may not be able to hold any of the water, but it may still get clean. And sometimes that happens with surveying. You know, there is a grace that is imparted to you just by reading scripture. It doesn't always happen that way. 
But if your heart is open to it, and who knows how God can work. So I don't want to, you know, say that just reading Scripture uh, quickly won't do anything, right? It, it certainly can. God can certainly use that. But it's not the only way to read Scripture. Another way, very, very common way, and probably the way that we most know is study. Now, study uh, is, is definitely a spiritual discipline. I mean, it's definitely something that I think is really, really important. But I want to caution us here because studying is about letting your mind take control. And by the way, some people have studied the scripture and come to the conclusion that God is telling them that they should be able to own slaves and do with them whatever they want. They did that through study. Right? The problem with study is that we oftentimes dictate how that study goes, what we are going to emphasize, what we are going to believe. And our minds are really, really good at justifying things, really, really good at, at, at using that information to serve our agenda. And also, by the way, there are many people who study the Word of God and they're atheists. Did you know that? Right? Like, like in, in secular universities or even at Christian universities, to be honest, um, there's a lot of professors who study the Bible who don't even believe in God. Right? So clearly, study doesn't naturally or automatically make you like Christ. I mean, think about the Pharisees. They knew Scripture more than anyone. And it didn't necessarily give them the kind of heart that they were supposed to. In many ways, uh, uh, the, 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 there's the Scripture that says that knowledge builds up, or puffs up, but uh, love really builds up. Yeah, I think I got that right. <laughs> knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. And this idea that knowledge can puff you up, it can make you arrogant. And sometimes you get that, right? Sometimes people go to seminary or people study scripture and, and they go to a Bible study and they learn this information. And, you know, what, what sort of like pings for them is that it's interesting, or it makes them feel smart. They're like, oh my gosh, I never knew that. That's so cool, right? But it doesn't necessarily make them like Christ. Now, I don't want to say that study is bad, but I want us to understand study uh, in the proper context. So this is what Dallas Willard says about study as a spiritual discipline. And he says, study as a spiritual discipline is in general the focusing of the mind upon God's works and words. In study, our mind takes on the order in the object studied. And that order invariably forms the mind itself and thereby the soul and the life arising out of it. So notice the difference here. The kind of study that I was sort of telling us to be cautious of is the study where you go in with a set mind. You go in with a set way of thinking and you are using scripture to reinforce whatever it is you want to feel, whatever it is that, that you're about already. There is no transformation there. But if you approach study as trying to conform to the Scripture, you're trying to conform your mind to it, to focus your mind upon God's works and minds so that your mind takes on the order of the Word of God, right? So it gets shaped. So in other words, you become the Word, the word becomes you. It becomes a part of you. That's different. Then we go in and we're like, yeah, I like this. I don't like that. Or this is interesting to me. This is not interesting to me. Right? That's not the kind of study that we want. Right? 
We want to be able to know what God desires of us. So it says, thus the law of God kept before the mind brings the order of God into our mind and soul. So that idea of the law of God kept before the mind. So if you're focusing on it and you're reading it and you're thinking on it carefully and you're really allowing that word of God into you, it's supposed to bring the order of God, the law of God, the rule of God, the direction of God into your mind and soul. And so what Dallas Willard says is this next one, this next part is actually a subset of study. It's meditation, right? And so the study in the way that we are trying to understand it does sort of uh, line up with what we are talking about in uh, uh, Joshua 1, 6 through 8, right? That, that, That you're consumed by the word of God and the word of God changes you, right? Meditation um, the, 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 the Hebrew word, it just means to murmur or to mutter, right? You, you almost imagine just someone, like, like, do you ever try to remember something? You just keep saying it over and over again. You're like, you know, don't forget your car keys. Don't forget your car keys or something like that. You know, I used to do this when I was, uh, when, when my children were very young and we were, uh, like warming up a bottle or, or, you know, putting in like scoops of formula or things like that. A lot of times I would lose track of the scoops of formula that I was putting in because I was just so tired, right? It was like late at night and whatever. And literally, I would put in a scoop and be like, did I put in a scoop? You know? And I would like literally just put in two and I'm like, am I on the second scoop or the third scoop? And so this is literally what I would do to remember. And, and people make fun of me, but there's some people I know who they're like, dude, like when I forget like how many scoops I'm putting in, I, I, I totally do what you do, Steve. This is what I would do. I would put one scoop in, I would go one, 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 two, 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 three, 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 three. That's meditating. That's meditating, right? That muttering, that murmuring, so that you remember, right? People make fun of me. They're like, dude, you're crazy, right? But I remembered, right? Because you're recalling it to your mind. The, 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 uh, one of the definitions that they give for meditation is ruminate. Do you, do you guys know what ruminate is? What the technical meaning of ruminate is? It's, it's, it's uh, actually for animals. That, like animals like cows, they chew on things like grass. And, and, and it, we call it chewing the cud because there are parts of the grass that can't be digested at once. And so, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of gross, but, uh, uh, you know, uh, the animals have these stomachs that have like different compartments for the different kinds of food. And so some of the food, it doesn't get fully digested. It comes back up and then they keep chewing on it again and again and again and again. That's why sometimes when you see farm animals, they're just like... Hour passes. You're like, dude, swallow, man. It's, it's like it's chewing the cud. It is that rumination. It is that muttering again and 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 again so you don't forget. That's what meditation is, right? And so what you see in this, um, uh, so I, I want to show a very parallel passage that's very, very similar to Joshua 1, 6-8 to give you the same idea, but from a slightly different perspective. So this is Psalm 1. It said, Blessed is the person who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of uh, scoffers. So, you know, for many of us, we're absorbing the things of this world because we're standing in the way of people who are ungodly. And we're exposed to ungodly things. And so therefore, we start thinking ungodly thoughts all the time. And so no wonder do we become people who are not godly at all. 
right? And so instead of that, the psalm tells us that blessed is the person whose delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates, chews. He chews on the word of God day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does, he prospers. Did you see that? That's the same word that was in uh, Joshua 1, 6 through 8. That's not just talking to the people of Israel on the cusp of going into the promised land. It is also talking to us. If we can meditate, chew, Why is the cow chewing on the word? Or chewing on the grass, I should say. (laughs) Because the the grass can't be digested yet. Right? Sometimes when when you hear the word of God, you just hear it and you're like, okay, that's nice. But then it just comes in one ear and goes out the other. It hasn't become a part of you. And maybe what you need to do is chew on it, just like that, that cow is chewing on the grass. But I wanted to show you Psalm 1 because I think that there's something here uh, that we're missing with the cow. Does that look fun to you? Does that look enjoyable? Do you think the cow is like, hmm? I mean, maybe it is. Uh, you, you know, animals just have one expression. They just always look the same. Hey, cow, are you happy? Yeah. Is it having a good time? I don't know. We think of chewing, you know, especially like if you're chewing on like, a, like I don't know, something that's really <laughs> can't be digested, that it would start tasting gross after a while, right? It'd probably lose all those flavor. It's like chewing gum too long, you know? Uh, uh, yeah, man, I love chewing gum, but so often gum just loses the flavor like after like five seconds, right? And I want to spit it out and just get the, the fresh piece of gum. But in Psalm 1, what it says is that This person who's meditating on the law day and night, his delight is in the law of the Lord. It's delightful. It's enjoyable. It's not chewing on a a, a gross piece of gum, on tasteless grass. It's a gourmet meal. And so I think about it like, uh, have you ever seen Ratatouille? You remember ratatouille? There's these these mice, uh, uh, rats, excuse me. It's rat, ratatouille, not mouse-atouille. Um, there's these rats that they eat just for, for fuel, right? And so they get food and they're just, they don't even taste it, right? And so, but there's this weird rat named Remy who doesn't eat like that. He savors. And so he tries to, to he like ends up working at a gourmet French restaurant because why not? It's a cartoon. And he uh, tries to give this gourmet food to his brother, who all his life has just been shoveling food in, right? And his brother takes the food at first and he's just like, Arr. he's like, no, 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 dude, dude, dude. You got to slow down. Eat it slowly. Chew, right? And so then when he chews slowly, he's like, what is it that you're tasting? Is it a little salty? A little sweet? Is it a little noty, uh, uh, nutty? <laughs> do, do, do you, are there like, like floral notes in there? You know, it's, it's like, like, you know, wine tasting. They, they tell you to kind of swish it around in your mouth. Don't, don't swallow it right away. Savor it, you know. And many of us, I think, the way that we read the word of God is that we're like, I don't, I, the, the, the only thing I could think of is like, you ever like, you just have no time to eat. And so you just go to the McDonald's drive-thru or you pick up a granola bar and you literally just, like, like you're not even paying attention. You're just thinking about your day. You didn't even taste anything. It's just fuel, right? You're like the rats, you know? But that's not the way the word of God is supposed to be. 
It's supposed to be savored. It is a gourmet delicacy. And we are meant to chew on it slowly, right? And so we are told to meditate on this day and night. Do not let it depart from your mouth. Now think about this. It doesn't say just depart from your eyes. It says from your mouth, right? Because the meditation, it's this muttering, you know? God loves me. 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 Do not let it depart from you. Make it a part of you. Keep chewing on it until it becomes a part of you. So I think the way that uh, to read Scripture is the way that it talks about. It is about meditation. It's not just reading, right? So how do we practically do that? We probably have a lot of uh, images of meditation a lot of it is like from Eastern things, like, like we think about like mindfulness and just deep breathing. And that stuff's not bad. But when we're talking about meditation here, um, there are different ways where we can, you know, keep the scripture in our minds and we can let it be a part of us. A lot of the meditation that we're talking about, it's not about using your thoughts to manipulate the scripture, trying to figure it out. But in many ways, when you chew on the scripture, and when you do it from a, a place where, of openness, uh, where you're focused on it, you're concentrated on it, in many ways, it'll just become a part of you. you know, so I want to show you some ways that we can do that. Very practical things. Um, so the first one is the literal translation of Scripture, which is mutter or mumble. And what I mean by this is repetition. So there's sometimes where, you know, uh, you're reading Scripture and just keep reading it over and over and over. Now, I've done this before. I do this often. But what I find is that this is not very effective for me. And the reason why is when I keep repeating it over and over, my mind just starts to wander. You know, I just read it, but there's no comprehension. There's nothing coming in, right? It's just I'm reading it, and then I'm thinking about, like, okay, when is this going to end? You know, what am I doing right now? Oh, I'm kind of hungry, you know? And and my mind is able to wander when I do that because I'm not fully focused on it. You know, and so you can do this. I, I think it's a good practice, but I think there are other things that, that, at least for me, have been more effective. So another thing you can do is muse. Uh, so muse is the idea of instead of study, as in um, it, it kind of seems like study, but you just wonder at the scripture. It's almost like when you're eating that food, and you're like, oh, what is this I'm tasting? Is, is this paprika? You know, and it's just a wondering. Right, And so when you read the scripture, instead of looking at it and be like, man, I don't understand this, or what does this mean? And you're trying to wrestle the scripture, it's just more this curiosity where you're like, huh, what does this mean? Huh. Oh, I never noticed that this word was in here before. You know, And so it's almost like a child who looks at something that they've never seen before and you're getting this new information and it's novel and you're like, whoa, this is weird. I don't understand this, but you know, I, I kind of want to know. Tell me more. You know? And so uh, what we're doing in the musing is we're allowing for the room for God to allow that word to come into us. You know, we're not trying to necessarily find the meaning on our own. What a lot of us do is we just jump to a commentary or we go to a teacher or, you know, the pastor or the Bible study leader. We're like, hey, what does this mean? And, and I think that is better to just let your curiosity take over. Just, huh, 
what does this mean? I don't, I don't understand this. But just let that curiosity guide your concentration where you just keep reading it, you just keep wondering, and you're just open to the possibilities. Does that make sense? Do you see how that's different than, than like study in the classic way, right? But oftentimes, you know, God will give you these insights, and he will give it to you when you're ready to hear it, right? And that's the difference. Study is like, I want to know right now. But oftentimes, you know, just by wondering, you know, who knows what God will teach you. The third thing we can do is memorize. Now, to be honest, I think that memorizing encompasses a lot of the muttering and mumbling, right? Because the muttering and mumbling that isn't good is the kind where you just instantly forget it, right? But think about how would people who didn't have cell phones, smartphones, who didn't have a portable Bible in their back pocket, how were they able to meditate on Scripture all the time, day and night? They would have to memorize it, right? They would have to know it backwards and forwards. And in many ways, then it'll start to become a part of you. And this has become my favorite way to meditate on Scripture. You know, I I think I've shared this before. I get a cup of tea, and in the time that it takes me to to make that cup of tea, for for it to cool down and, and, and to drink that cup of tea, I just... We'll try to memorize scripture. But I I, want to kind of caution us here a little bit. I I know I've preached on this before, and somebody confessed to me. They're like, Pastor Steve, I I have to be honest. I know I've heard you talk about how important scripture memorization is. Dallas Willard uh, says that he he considers it, like, like pound for pound, the best spiritual discipline, the most effective spiritual discipline. You know, and I really took that to heart. I'm like, man, I want to learn how to do this, but... You know, I understood what the person was saying when they're like, yeah, you know, I actually don't like memorizing scripture. And I asked them this question, and they confirmed this for me. I was like, did you, were you taught how to memorize scripture at church? And they're like, yeah. And honestly, I think a lot of us have, you know, been encouraged to memorize scripture. Um, For me, very often at retreats, I was talking to my brother, David Beck, and he was saying that they, they did this at Mickey, actually, a couple years ago. But you would have to memorize scripture, like the key verse or the theme verse, and you wouldn't get to eat until you memorize scripture. I see some people actually nodding their heads here. That You've probably done this before at a retreat. Now, I know the intent is good, right? Memorizing scripture is wonderful. But doesn't it kind of make it a punitive thing, Right? And then you're just memorizing the scripture, not because you're delighting in it, but because you're hungry, right? And, and, and just like as soon as you, 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 you memorize the scripture, you're like, phew, that's over, right? And, and I think a lot of people, we have these bad thoughts or, or these bad memories and associations with memorizing scripture where it becomes like kind of this contest. It kind of becomes like this, this measure of how good of a Christian you are and, and that we feel this shame like, oh man, I'm not able to do it. You know, you don't want to be that kid, right? Probably when you were doing it at the retreat, you didn't want to be the last kid. Everyone else is eating their food. They've moved on to the ice cream, and you're still up there, and you're starting to cry. You're like, I can't do it, you know? That's terrible. Please, 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 if you plan a retreat, can you not do this anymore? (laughs) Please. You know, because I, I think that we're supposed to delight in it. And honestly, the memorizing, it's not just about being able to memorize lots of scripture. I mean, for what? So you can impress people, be like, yo, 
I know this entire book of the Bible, backwards and forwards. Who cares? That just makes you arrogant, right? It just puffs you up. God doesn't care about that. He just wants the scripture to get into you. And so for me, one of the things that I've tried to do uh, in memorizing scripture is not worry about, you know, as a part of the practice of memorizing it, I might do something where I like look away from it and see if I can recite it or try to write it down. You know, and, and if I've been working on it for like a month or so, see if I can do the whole thing from memory, just, just for my own good, not to impress anyone. But honestly, recently what I've been doing is I think that the, the act of memorizing does some of these other things, the muttering and the mumbling and the musing, and we're just turning it over in your mind over and over. That's the value of it. It's the process. It's not the goal. Right? So even if you're not able to memorize it, or if you forget it the very next day, the actual act of doing it is worth doing. Does that make sense? Yeah, so I would highly recommend that. Now, this is a fourth way. Uh, uh, Sister Connie shared this with me when we were talking about uh, different ways to read Scripture. That, that She had read a book where they recommended this, where uh, you actually write the Scripture down. Right? You, you just copy it, you know? And I think this does a very, very similar thing to, to memorizing. So if you don't like memorizing, try writing it down. So, so you can take one of these passages and just word for word, you know, you write it over and over. Some people don't like this either because it makes them think of like, you ever see like Bart Simpson on the chalkboard? Like, I will not talk back to the teacher. I will not. It, it kind of feels like that a little bit for some people. But for some, it's actually very like kind of calming. You know, just, you, you don't even need to do it a lot. But just, just write it down and, you know, you're not doing a lot of critical thinking, but you're, you're just focused on that task. So, brothers and sisters, remember what the goal is. It is to become the Word of God. If you don't know where to start, we're going to talk more about what scriptures you should start with uh, in future weeks. But, you know, Psalm 1, uh, Joshua 1, 6 through 8, which we just read, those are great ones to start with. Psalm 23 is usually the one I tell people to start with. You know, you might have done it when you were a kid. It's a really, really great one. Lord's Prayer, it's also a good one. Um, if, you, if you're like, oh, Pastor Steve, I already know those ones. I need something more. Text me. Email me. I'll give you one. <laughs> or we can talk about it. I'll give you some suggestions, right? Um, but we want to become the Word. And funny enough, that there's a very similar thing where we talk about becoming like Christ in ingesting something, food, when we talk about communion. So this is a very natural transition to go into communion. And by the way, uh, praise team, there's uh, bread there in the back. Oh, you know, actually, I forgot to put the bread in the back. Angelina, there's a bag there. Can you just get those little breads and put them back there? It's in front of you, actually. Do you, do you see? Oh, 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 it's back there. Oh, I did put it back there. Okay. Um, yeah, if you guys want to grab uh, bread in, in a cup, and if you, if, if you at home want to grab your bread and juice or something that's juice-like, I mean, it can totally be water. That's totally fine. Um, but friends, you know, to think about what Jesus was doing in giving of himself. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he still gave generously to the people who would betray him and lose faith. And, you know, he said that this is my body, which is given for you, right? And it may seem like a strange thing, but it's given to us to eat so that Jesus becomes a part of us. Now, it's a symbol, right? But that's what it's about. And in a similar way, he took the cup 
And, and his would have been wine. I mean, we got juice. It's just a, a symbol again. He said that this is my blood, which has been shed for you. Right? It's so great. We are forgiven. We are loved. We are accepted. And we take that into us. And so before we, we, we actually eat it, um, I want to pray over the elements.